podcast, home to stories that haunt. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Katie leaned forward in her plastic chair, stretching her hands across the table to grip his forearm. I am begging you now, please, please. Tears began to gather again on her grief-reddened lids. Joe watched as they swelled, spilled, one rolling down a blotchy cheek, the other plopping silently onto the rubberized tabletop. Her fingers biting through his shirt sleeves were like ice, He used his pet name for her, reached to wipe the tear on her cheek away, but the chain on the handcuff holding him to the table stopped his hand an inch short. He grimaced and turned to the guard at the door. Can you take these these off, for God's sake? Protocol. The guard shrugged, looked on impassively. Joe turned back to Katie. What did the lawyer say? He asked her. She sniffed deeply, released his arm, and wiped her own tears away with the back of a hand. She said she'd come in later today to discuss it more, she replied. Joe could see she was gathering herself. The moment of connection was gone. She turned away from him and sighed. Anything else? I don't know. She shrugged then, not looking at him anymore. It was a short call. Most of the day I was coordinating searches and talking to the media to try to get more people looking. Her tone had hardened. Kiki. He realized too late what she was thinking. Um, I'm sorry. Okay, I, I didn't mean... You didn't mean? You'd forgotten Jason? Our son, our infant, is still missing. She was standing now, gathering her belongings. Didn't forget, in the worry about yourself, that our four-month-old is out there somewhere, going through God knows what. Katie, I... He protested, but she was already heading for the door. I am going to find him, Joe. You can sit rotting in here if you want. I hardly want to. Then say yes. She finally looked at him again, her body a quarter of the way through the door already. Say yes. And you can be out of here in four hours. Go to the reenactor. This isn't theoretical anymore, Joe. This is real. Are you insane? Joe cried. The guard put one hand on the gun at his hip and stood up a little straighter. Joe dropped his voice again before going on, imploring. Katie, I... We have never believed the reenactor is safe or even legal. Every single time we've discussed it, we've agreed on this. And now you want me to just casually jump into one? Let it do God knows what to my brain, to me? I can't, I can't believe this. I I can't believe this is happening. How? How could you do this? I, I want to know what happened to my baby. Katie's tone was flat. Joe slumped in his chair. 
held his palms up in silent appeal. I've told you, I don't know what happened. I've told you everything I know, Katie. You yourself have always said this thing is a terrible idea, he pleaded. We've agreed for years, since they first brought it in. It's not reliable. It's madness. You said it shouldn't be allowed. It's experimental, and now you want me to go in, just like that. Like it's, like, like it's nothing. But when he looked up to see if his plea had landed, she was already gone. It was heralded as the bringer of a new era in law enforcement and justice, the reenactor. It would, the investors and proponents said, reduce the ridiculous remand times. They had gotten so long that some innocent people were serving what would almost have been a full guilty sentence before they got to trial where they could be found innocent. The right to a steady, speedy trial timescale had been extended to an indefinite period, rendering the right itself meaningless. It would also reduce the needs for jails and prisons, the investors said, as once it took the place of the courts, the guilty would, by default, be processed out by the machine. That was a way off yet, though. At present, the option for a trial and a sentence of the death penalty still existed, and the death penalty itself was still performed in a way the justice system was calling humane. It was certainly more humane than some of the reenactions. We're going over the woods again. Kathy adjusted her hat, blocking the sunlight behind her, letting Katie's dazzled eyes rest a second. Katie was standing by the head of the older woman's horse, at the front of a group of other familiar faces, neighbors and friends, all mounted on horses or ATVs. I know the guys went over there already, Kathy continued, but you never know what they may have missed, and I know the dogs ain't helping much. Thanks, Kathy. I... Katie tried to drag a smile onto her face, but could feel her failure. Her mouth remained a tight, grim line, her lips a bloodless slash of pain. Katie watched them ride slowly away, the ATV group keeping a respectful distance from the horses, Kathy calling out left and right, directing them to the areas she wanted them to cover. She was a retired detective, Kathy, and she knew her stuff. The dogs were kind of useless. Katie had imagined when Bill, the detective leading the case, said he was calling the canines in that they would find her baby within the hour, or at least have some idea of where he went, but that wasn't what happened at all. She had provided an outfit, the sheets of a cot and a wet cloth diaper for the dogs to scent on, but they just kept returning over and over to the nursery, circling and sniffing at the cot. The canine officer was apologetic, but didn't seem surprised. Little babies have to be carried, he said. It's not unheard of for there to be a scent, but if a perpetrator brought their own blanket, wrapped them up and got out, there might not be much for the dogs to get a hold on. They did finally seem to get a scent later in the morning, right outside the window with the slit screen. But once they had dashed a few yards, baying their excited alert cries, they just circled the yard a few times and then looked back to their handlers as if to say, what now? 
Katie heard the rattle of an older engine, saw her mom's car turning up the driveway and heading for the house. The sides of the vehicle were thick with mud. Her mom, Nancy, had been searching night and day for the baby too. A few moments later, she was stumping across the lawn towards Katie, a short, stout woman with strong limbs and a commanding voice. Nancy was a powerful ally at a time like this, but Katie didn't feel fully able to relax into the support Nancy offered. She felt if she did, she would dissolve, crash completely into the helplessness and terror and guilt of her baby's absence and never recover. She couldn't afford to do that, however much she wanted to, however much she wanted her mom right now. She had to be a mom. She had to find her son. Any news? Nancy asked. But Katie was already shaking her head. And wh- what about Joe? Nancy arched her eyebrow. Still, in, still at the station, Katie said. She braced herself then. She knew how her mother felt about Joe. She expected a diatribe. What has that man done? Nancy immediately confirmed Katie's worst fear. Why doesn't he just go to the reactor? He should be out here looking with the rest of us. They have not charged him with anything. Katie started to defend Joe, but found her need to do it was weaker. Internally, she agreed with Nancy. Why hadn't he just gone to the reenactor? She knew all his prior arguments, but this wasn't pontificating about a theoretical justice system. This was real. You know, he, he can't go anyway. They don't refuse when people need to get out immediately. Don't, don't want to wait for charges. You know that. It makes me wonder. Nancy looking knowingly at Katie. If he knows something, he's not telling us. Mom. Katie felt tears prick and pushed a bald fist into her eye socket, rubbing and pressing her knuckles in until she could see stars. He is Jason's father. He doesn't know anything. He didn't do anything. He's just as worried as we are. He's not his father, though, is he? Nancy countered. He's not even a stepfather, since he seems allergic to marriage as well as gluten, meat, and dairy. Nancy's views on Joe's eating habits were never off the menu in these conversations, either, it seemed. Katie had heard it all before. Who cares if he's vegan? Who cares if he has celiac disease? Neither of those things correlate in any way to parenting, and certainly not to criminality. And he might not be Jason's biological father. That had been some dude from a bar on a girl's road trip. But he had looked after Katie for the latter half of her pregnancy. Had been there for the birth, fitted the car seat, gave bottles at 3am and changed diapers. He had been a father in every other possible way. Mom? Katie's voice came out sharper than she had intended, jangling her own nerves. Please stop. You know how I feel about it. You know how we feel about it. I know how he feels about it, Nancy countered, her volume increasing. He's made no secret. I get a lecture about it every time it comes up. Mom, please, Katie cried. She wanted to be anywhere but in this conversation, this moment. Not now. Okay? Nancy was silent for a beat, 
staring off towards the trees where a few flashes of the paler horses could be seen moving ponderously among the shadows. Then her body rippled as she gave herself a little shake. She gave Katie's shoulder a squeeze with a strong hand. Right then, she said more softly now. What can I do? The reenactor had gone terribly wrong in early trials. That was behind the first huge public objection to it. The early testing, using volunteer subjects from death row, had seemed to go well. The volunteers were mostly those who had been waiting for their execution a long time, and the press made it seem like they were trying to give back to society by allowing themselves to be experimented on. A man called Willard Brownlee died of a reenacted gunshot to the back of his head, the same wound he had inflicted upon his wife, Marlene, 23 years before. The M.E. remarked afterwards how precisely the reenaction wound corresponded to the original injury to Marlene. The location, size, damage it caused matched exactly. Another man, Eric Calder Jones, bled to death from a reenacted stab wound to his left chest, the same as the one he inflicted on his brother in a fight over a girl in their late teens. There were a few more, including a pervert called Robert Edgton, who died of widespread reenacted blunt force injuries and hypoxia sustained during the reenaction of a brutal sexual assault and strangulation he'd committed against a teenage girl the decade before. Apparently, when they went to remove what was left of him, he was smiling. Those were the successes, the happy stories. The error was found when the Felony Three were sent in. A bank teller and mother of five called Pamela Evans had died when a gun was fired accidentally during an armed robbery. Four men had been convicted of her murder and sent to death row. Of those four, one declined to try the reenactor. The other three said, had always said, he had been the one who had the gun who actually shot and killed the victim. And he had a few appeals on his death sentence left, so it made sense that he didn't want to face the reenactor. But felony murder doesn't require that you physically did it. The others carried their guilt by association. When the first died of a reenacted gunshot, you'd think it would make the operation team pause, but they assumed he'd been lying, that he'd been the one holding the weapon after all. They didn't say a word, just let the next man go in. Then the second died the same way, of an identical wound, and they began to scratch their heads. The single victim died of a single gunshot wound. Two people can't hold one gun. The final convict was returned to prison. Following the news of the first two deaths, and in response to this final experiment being cancelled, the original victim's husband, a man called Kingdom Evans, came forward and volunteered via a live segment on a national news channel. I was in work when she died, he'd said. I am completely innocent. I think this AI is right. It's doing right. It sees their guilt. Those men who died killed her even though they weren't holding the gun. That's why the machine took them, he insisted. I will prove it. 
and the science team refused him. Warned those funding the thing that something was up. They needed more time to investigate it. But you know how corporate stuff works. Refusing this very public offer would have been the worst press ever. So they did it. And he died too, of an identical gunshot wound. Left those five kids, now mostly grown without any parents. Then they had to halt everything. The issue had apparently been in some line of code somewhere deep in the AI reasoning center of the thing. It turned out the machine was reenacting the crime on whichever body it was given. It was measuring involvement, assessing criminality, monitoring the brain activity. It could see, they said, what the subject had done or not done, but due to that little bit of code, it wasn't using it to decide how to proceed. It was just reenacting the crime on the subject regardless. Zeros and ones, man. They're scary stuff. Software technically always does exactly what you tell it to do, though maybe not what you intended it to do. The developers were scrutinized, and a few were fired. Around the time they made that whole mess public, it came out that the death row volunteers had been told they'd be pardoned if they came forward voluntarily. Maybe they thought they'd beat the machine. Maybe they didn't really understand what it did. Not exactly freely consenting either way. Taken together, that turned the public collectively off the whole idea. It was a few years before they resumed. They had a huge media drive to talk about it. It's amazing now, they said. It's all new and guaranteed reliable. And it went a little better. There were no more obvious massive miscarriages of justice. There were a few famous cases that seemed to prove its dependability. A man called Edward Connie was found with his wife, who had died of a gunshot. He was still holding the gun. He insisted his business partner had done it. The business partner said he'd go through the reenactor, but only if Edward went first. When Edward came out unscathed, the man broke down, confessed, and was sentenced to life, which was better than death. An accused serial killer, Dennis Jean Williams, made it through. They put him in jail anyway, but 18 months later, the detective who'd built the case against him made a mistake and left his own DNA at a near-identical crime scene. God knows why he volunteered to go in it, but the reenactor tore him to shreds. Yet people were still lukewarm. Only a few people could really understand how the reenactor worked, and that was a problem at first. The basic concept was that it used a mix of functional MRI scanning, AI modeling, quantum physics, and cell memory to shift the cells of an accused person back to the time of the crime and reenact upon them whatever role they played in it. But lay people don't understand how AI or quantum physics or MRIs actually work, which left the majority feeling the machine was a magic trick or, for the more suspicious, a dirty trick. Pressure groups formed, resistance developed, but in much the same ways that there were those who doubted fingerprinting or DNA evidence, eventually they were proven wrong a sufficient number of times, found themselves in a small enough minority that they began to thin out even more until almost none remained. It happens with technology. 
How many people really understand how the information from a broadcaster is being transmitted as light down a fiber optic cable that beamed wirelessly into their TV from a router so they can watch that new Netflix show? But they all still have it in their homes. Trust it. Though the circumstances were different and the stakes certainly higher with the reenactor, once people got used to the idea, they no longer cared to really understand it. Besides, there was always something other about the thinking about it. The average person, knowing themselves not to be a criminal, doesn't feel the need to worry about a nitty-gritty of the justice system. What happened to killers is less of a concern when one knows one isn't a killer. Are you a killer? Megan was arranging the case file on the table as she asked this. So casually, it took a second to penetrate Joe's mind what exactly she was asking. What? He gripped the table edge, his fingernails blanching. No! What are you talking about? Are you crazy? Megan didn't react at all to his outburst, went on flipping through pages and then opened a notebook and uncapped the pen. I have to ask. She shrugged. It's my job to defend you, and that will be easier if I know exactly what I'm defending you against. Look, um, I'm sorry. Joe felt sweat prickle in his armpits. I, I wasn't expecting you to ask, that's, that's all. No need to apologize. Megan was brisk, businesslike. Now, she ran a finger down a sheet of paper in front of her. The detective says he's waiting for the DA to make a decision, but he hopes to charge you by the end of the day. With what? Joe had rarely felt so out of control. In the small holding cell at the station, he had no mobile, was allowed no calls, no information. He could only speak with Katie in the supervised meeting rooms, and she wouldn't tell him anything now. The last two visits, she just asked him to go to the reenactor and then left when he tried to remind her of their shared beliefs about it. Bit of a column, uh, bit of a column B from the looks of this. She scanned down the sheet. First degree murder, kidnapping, first degree child abuse resulting in death, child neglect, um, negligent homicide, or concealing a corpse. I think he's waiting for the DA to decide exactly what she thinks will stick. Oh, uh, then what will happen? Joe asked. He felt more tired than he had ever felt. Well, then you have three options. Megan held up a hand, putting fingers up one at a time as she spoke. You can plead guilty and be sentenced. You can wait and go to trial. Or you can go to the reenactor. This should be illegal, Joe said. He couldn't believe he found himself in this scenario, and the injustice of it stung. If I don't go to the reenactor, that scene is uh, as good as a confession. And if I do it, anything could happen to me. And I'd, and I'd not be here to defend myself. Even when it's proven to have been mistaken, I'll already be dead. So, you believe the baby is dead? Megan arched an eyebrow. Her pen which had been writing, hovering over the notepad. Joe glared at her. You know what I mean. The machine could do anything to me. I don't even think that the, the, the people who built it know how it works. He buried his face in his hands, 
rattling his wrist chains. Mr. Collier, Joe. Megan began to put her papers away in their manila file again. Legally, your rights to decline the reenactor are protected, just as your rights to remain silent and to legal representation are. They cannot be seen as a factor in the deciding of your guilt or innocence in any criminal proceedings against you. She had finished now and slid the folder off the table, stood up. But I would be remiss if I didn't advise you that the longest period on remand anyone on my caseload has, well, it's currently nine years and running. And that case isn't on any docket so far. I understand that you're scared, but I've had dozens, maybe hundreds of clients promptly released following a no involvement found in the reenaction process. Yeah, and um, how many of those, the, you know, the ones that it killed, had said they were innocent? She chuckled at this. <laughs> oh, they all say they're innocent, Joe. Just think it over. The guard took Joe back to the cell. It was a tiny rectangular space half taken up by a narrow bunk. A toilet with cistern-top basin took up a third of what remained. His cuffs were removed and the door slammed and he stretched out on the bunk. It was rock hard and they had given him no pillow. He thought about the baby about his little pink face and dark eyes, his small hands curled into fists. How he cooed when he saw Joe come in off a shift. The smell of him fresh from the bath and how it made his heart ache a little. He thought about the sound of the scream when Katie realized the bulge in the sheets she'd taken to be the baby was actually a soft toy. A lump pushed up in his throat and he blinked rapidly against the threatening tears. What? was he supposed to do? Bill! Kathy's voice vibrated as she pushed her horse up to a jog. The group were coming back from the wooded area, and she was near the front. Katie outside again. They'd brought a different pair of dogs in the search house once more, though days had passed and Katie felt it was futile. She was standing with the lead detective, Though they hadn't managed to say hi yet before Kathy had appeared. Kathy. Bill removed his cap and pushed his hair back, then resettled it on his head. What's he saying? Kathy pulled her horse to a stop beside them and swung herself smoothly from its back. Bill side-eyed Katie cautiously and then gave Kathy a helpless shrug. He didn't want to discuss it in front of her, Katie realized. What, um... What'd you find up there? Bill nodded towards the woods. Not a thing. You'd know it if it were different. Kathy loosened the cinches in the saddle and patted the horse's flat brown shoulder as she spoke. Where do you want us to go next? About a third have places to be, but the rest are signed up to search the whole day. I, I guess the logging road and the fields either side, Bill said after a moment. The boys looked there, but uh, it wasn't a fingertip search. Another bunch of eyes over it might turn something up. Right now, we got nothing. Not a sighting, not a vehicle. Nada. I'll have a look at the map and uh, okay an area with one of your boys. Kathy picked up the trailing reins and led the horse away, back towards the gaggle of people she'd been searching with. 
Katie considered Bill's weathered profile. She'd known who he was her whole life, but she'd never actually spoken to him until three days before, when she came in off the night shift and found a stuffed toy tucked into the cot where her son should be. It felt like a lifetime ago, but also like her heart was still frozen in those moments. What, um, what is he saying? She asked and saw Bill's features tighten a touch. Well, nothing to me. What's he saying to you? He countered gently. Katie sighed. Nothing to me either. I I keep asking him to go to the reenactor and at least get back out here to help, but he's scared, I guess. He, he doesn't believe in it, in the accuracy of it. I mean, he, he, he never has. Bill nodded slowly at this. That's not so uncommon, he said. After a pause, he said, Run me through again, in case we miss something. Katie was almost robotic now. She told it so many times. I was, um... I was on the night shift, eight till six. Her eyes glazed as she thought herself back to that evening. It was a pretty quiet shift. Betsy Railer passed on. She'd been ailing for months. Her son was there, but her daughter didn't make it. Me and Carol Ann laid her out after. The rest of them were mostly settled. Donald Edwards tried to take a walk around 3am, but the cameras caught him trying the door codes, and I got him back to bed okay. Bill knew all this. Having already been over to Sunnybrook Nursing Home, interviewed the staff, and watched the CCTV. I got away early. About quarter to six, I walked in the door here about five past. I, I peeked in at him, at JJ. The room was, was dark, but I thought I saw him there. Saw the shape of him in the cot. Then I went to the bedroom. Joe was sleeping. He woke He woke with me moving around in there, and and I asked when he'd last given a bottle. I'd missed my 5 a.m. pumping session and was hoping he'd be awake and wanting to nurse when I got in. Joe seemed a bit confused, groggy. Then he said, three, like it was a, like it was a question. Then he started to get up, well, you know, sit up and rub his eyes. Katie's brow pinched with the pain of remembering. So I went back in to fetch him, JJ, so I could nurse him. But I saw before I got to the cot, something was wrong. It was the wrong shape. When I pulled the sheet back, it was a teddy bear, one of my... One my sister sent, it hadn't even... Being in the cot, it's not a safe toy. It, it, it's, it, it's one of those with, 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 um, with glass eyes. Bill nodded. And I just started screaming to Joe. He's gone. Where is he? Where's the baby? Where's JJ? You know? Um, and Joe seemed as much as in a panic as me. He came running in with the phone. He dialed 911. And we started tearing the room apart. It, it felt ridiculous. I... 
I, I knew. <laughs> I knew a four-month-old baby couldn't have gotten under a bed or, or into a wardrobe, but, but, but what else do you... What else do you do? When the police car came outside, the blue lights were flashing, and I went to the window, and I saw then that the latch on it was open. The screen was cut. Tears were beginning to slide from her eyes, and she brushed them away impatiently. And you know, you know the rest? She sighed. I saw no unfamiliar cars. I noticed nothing out of the ordinary. Just my baby. Gone. She sniffed wetly, then fell silent. About Joe, Bill said. You say he's been scared of the reenactor since before all this. Katie nodded resolutely. Yes, he, he has never supported it or believed in it, ne- never ever, since it was first invented. He took those early mistakes to heart. He wrote a college paper on it. I mean, he thinks a machine is only as perfect as the human who built it, and all humans are imperfect. It's not new, this fear. I don't think it's because he... he... he did something. <laughs> but he's always been against the death penalty, too. She looked sideways at Bill to see how this landed, but the older man's expression was open. Both of us are, truth be told. I just can't see state killing people being the solution to people killing people. It's like when you see a stressed out mom in a grocery store hitting her kid, shouting, we don't hit, because they smack their sibling. It's, it's total nonsense. She shook her head. But it's different now, isn't it? I I wish you would just do it. I, 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 I really need him. But I can't say um, him refusing makes me think he did something because he's only doing what I'd expect given how he's always felt about it. Bill knew all this too, having interviewed Joe's parents, brothers, and friends. The father in him was reserving judgment, knew how strong-minded the young could be about their beliefs, and how strong fear could be. But the cop's spidey sense in him was beginning to tingle all the same. Well, he began, reaching out to give Katie's shoulder a pat, but he was interrupted by a barking and a voice from inside the house. Get CSI in here. A canine handler was shouting. We got something. Most people did now believe that the reenactor worked as it was meant to. Of course, conspiracy theorists exist for all areas of life, and there were a few who were sure that it was just a convenient way of getting rid of people. But it was hard to believe, given that the numbers of those who died in the reenactor were small, most criminals were smart enough not to volunteer for it. There were the arrogant few who thought they could beat the machine. A few dark horses who went because their loved ones couldn't believe in their guilt and they themselves couldn't face being alive to disappoint them. But mostly, the guilty understood it would work, and they opted for trial instead. 
Even if it took more than a decade to get to court, there was always a chance the jury would find in your favor. And even if they didn't, and even if it still took forever for actual death sentences to be enacted, waiting for a trial extended your life by a decent chunk. The biggest group of naysayers in the general public against the reenactor still remaining were those who believed it worked, but had always been opposed to the death penalty. Because if a murderer went to the reenactor, their death was a certainty, and usually very inhumane. They couldn't possibly be seen as anything other than cruel and unusual. Mr. Collier. The DA addressed Joe formally, sat opposite him, straight and tall, the minimum number of contact points between her body and the chair. You wanted to talk. Er, um, are you going to charge me? Joe asked. I'm not sure I can answer that, she replied, crossing her arms, tilting her head. She wore a crisp, dark suit fitted perfectly to her generous frame. Her hair was in box braids, elaborate, immaculate, and expensive-looking. I, I need to make a decision here, Joe went on, and I, well, I, I want to know exactly what I'm deciding between. She seemed to consider this for a moment, then gave a tiny nod. Yes, I'm going to charge you. With what? Joe pushed the heels of his hands into his eyes, rested his elbows on the table. He didn't want to hear her say it. I need to review the files again. But I think with first-degree murder... Interfering with evidence and concealing human remains. Death penalty charges. Joe kept his face buried in his hands. Sweat broke out along his spine. Yes. Is that based on evidence? I mean, uh, uh, a body? Are, are, you, are you still trying to find him? You know I'm not at liberty to discuss the case. And how? Joe looked up at her now. His eyes blurred her at first. Her features an indistinct fuzz of umber fleshy tones. A smear of red lipstick. And am I supposed to respond to that? That's up to you, Mr. Collier. If I go to the reenactor, it can kill me. And nobody will never know if it was wrong or, or, or not. If I wait on a trial, my refusal to go to the reenactor will, will make the jury think that I am guilty. She interrupted him. That is not permitted under the juror's guidance and regulations, section 7-4. I, 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 I know what is permitted, ma'am. Joe cut her off. And I, and I know human nature and any juror who believes in the infernal machine and sees I sat waiting in jail for eight, nine, ten years to be tried by them, when I could have had an, an afternoon at the reenactor and gone home, will believe me guilty, whether they're permitted or not. Look, she leaned towards him. You say you're innocent. The reenactor will have you home in a few hours. Or in a box. Only the guilty go home in a box, Mr. Collier. Do they? Is it, 
Huh? Yeah. And, and how do you how do you know that, DHS? Do the police go on running the DNA, checking the phone records, and interviewing other suspects after your hideous machine has devoured the accused? We've still got rape kits from unsolved assaults, untested from 15 years ago. You telling me police resources are used on cases after the reenactor has chosen a perp and given its punishment? That is wrong. It's it's evil. It's it. It's I'm I'm in a catch-22. I'm in a trap. There's no there's no way out for me. It sounds. Like you've got some thinking to do, Mr. Collier. The woman flashed a wide, fake smile and got to her feet. He was under the floor. Baby JJ was under the floor, under the cot. He had been wrapped in a bloody sweatshirt and some trash bags. Nancy held on to Katie as they brought him out and took him to the waiting ambulance inside a black body bag, which was many times too large. Katie screamed and sobbed. She got on her knees and begged the wide-eyed paramedics to help him to do something, but it had been days since anything could have been done. Uh, you have, uh, chosen to undergo reenaction. The operator, a blonde boy of about 23, sounded bored. I will now run you through the consent procedure and preparation. Do you understand? Joe nodded. His heart was pounding. They were standing together inside the reenaction machine. A small, domed cell with white walls and a single door with a small window in it. It was like being inside an enormous egg. Your consent is being taken by audio and video recording. Please say yes aloud. The boy droned. Yes. Joe's voice came out in a hoarse whisper, and he cleared his throat. The reenaction module is not a medical device. The boy went on. Although it employs some MRI technology, you have been placed in a gown for the protection of the machine and yourself. Do you understand? Yes. Do you confirm? uh, Do you have any mental implants, medical or otherwise, on, in, or around your body? Yes. Um, No. No, I, I, I don't. Joe felt sweat break out on his upper lip. His body thrummed with adrenaline. I will now explain the procedure. The boy intoned flatly. You will be placed onto this gurney where you will be secured for your safety and comfort. This helmet will be secured on your head. The boy held up a helmet, which looked like an EEG cap for measuring seizure activity, but more disposable, papery. And the gurney will be tilted to an upright posture. I will then leave the chamber and secure the door. The machine will begin to make a sound. Then as it comes to full power, um, well, the sound gets louder and louder, but will not harm you. When the green light above the door is replaced by a red light, 
The machine is in operation. The machine will revisit the time in question and using the information encoded in your own cells and neurology will try to pinpoint the time more precisely and reenact the events in question. Um, For most people, this will make you feel as if you were remembering what you were doing at the time. Um, And if you were sleeping, you may fall asleep. If you were using the bathroom, you may do so in the chamber. Please do not be concerned. Uh, A shower and clean clothes are provided upon completion of the reenaction procedure. We strive to keep reenaction as short as possible. The average period reenaction in situations like yours, where a crime or pinpointed time is uncertain, is 27 minutes. If the reenaction will take more than an hour, you will be offered breaks. Do you understand? Joe caught himself just nodding again and had to force out a tight. Yes. If you are guilty of the crime in question, the injuries inflicted during that crime will be reenacted upon your own body. The boy said these words as if they had no meaning at all, as if he were singing Latin, having never studied it. This will result in your death, identical to that of your victims. Do you understand? Yes. Joe rasped. His heart was beating so fast and felt like a continuous vibration instead of a distinct beat. His tongue felt huge and dry, as if it would clog his throat. If you are not guilty of the crime, you will remember the events you did take part in. When the machine is finished, the light will return to green and will remove you from the chamber. Reenaction is not dangerous, but can lead to thirst and tiredness. Your needs will be attended to, and you will be observed for two hours following the procedure to ensure your complete recovery. Do you understand? Yes. Do you have any questions? The boy asked. No. Joe, who had about a thousand questions, replied. He was asked to climb onto the gurney then. The pleather was cold against his ass, where there was a gap in the back of the paper gown. The guard who had accompanied him came in and removed his cuffs, and the boy fastened padded belts over his ankles, knees, hips, waist, chest, elbows, and wrists. He was asked to lift his head, and the helmet was slipped on. The insides of the sensors in it were wet, and he felt their hundred cool kisses all over his scalp. He laid back again, and a final strap across his forehead was pulled tight. Completely immobilized, he was tilted to standing. Then, somewhere outside, a phone rang. uh, One second, I better get that. The boy said, and left. Joe waited in the still whiteness of the reenactor, Long moments passed. He felt his blood pooling in his feet and, despite his racing pulse, felt like he might pass out with fear. He didn't believe in any god, but the urge to pray, to say some words of supplication was strong, to beg anything that could grant it for some mercy, to plead for his life. Finally, he heard a distant door and the tech and the guards approaching voices their words becoming clearer as they got closer. Under the floor. 
One voice was saying, All the classics, like retina, skull, spiral humerus, and femur breaks, posterior ribs, and a couple of metaphysical coroners. Absolutely classic child abuse homicide. Uh, Joe strained to hear. They'd found what? Why did they call you? Protocol. If it's not already underway, you're supposed to let the bastard know. Give them one last chance to back out. What did you tell him? What I always do. Told him it was too late. The voice was right outside the door now. Told him I already hit go. (laughs) You're not feeling any generosity of spirit today? The other voice laughed. Listen, man, it's Dullesville in here. Day after day. I once had 38 NIFs in a row. I just told you what happened to the baby. This one will be real juicy. You want to give this guy a chance to think one through? Come on. There was a silence then. Joe thought he might throw up. He wanted to shout, to protest. That he could hear them. That he wanted to stop, hit pause, digest what he thought they were saying. But his too big, too dry tongue continued to crowd his mouth and his racing heart demanded gasping breaths too short to power any words. Nah, let it roll. was written by Beck Stranger and narrated by Nicholas Richardson. For more stories that haunt, as well as a behind-the-scenes look at what we do and why we do it, you can join our Patreon at patreon slash pleaseleavepod. You can follow Please Leave on Facebook and Instagram at pleaseleavepod. Our email is pleaseleavepod at gmail.com and our website is pleaseleavepod.com. This has been a Please Leave Media production. 